millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. Welcome to Dead Rock Stars. If you want to hear tales about faxes, spewing macho poetry, chip pan fires, milk as an aphrodisiac, and about our hero of the hour rummaging about in the dressing up box, then please stick around for the very first episode of this new podcast in which we, seasoned journalists that we are, talk about the true stories behind the rock names that you know and love and hate, who are no longer with us, hence the title of the series. My name is John McIver. I'm the author of several books about uh, loud music generally, heavy metal, hard rock. And I'm here with my friend, my great friend, Mick Wall, the man who puts the wall in Hadrian's Wall, who has written... (laughs) Hang on. (laughs) Who has written more books than I have, met them all, been backstage, done obscene things with many people. So tell me, Mick, uh, how are you today? Well, I'm the wall in Hadrian's Wall, which is an amazing thing to discover at my enormous age. I just dreamt that up. I can tell, yeah, absolutely. Now, it's very nice to be here. I'm not dead, so I'm glad we're doing this. Well, and we thought that uh, living presenters would do best yes. in the Dead Rock Stars podcast. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So today, for number one, we're talking about someone who is uh, close to all our hearts. Definitely He's dead. definitely dead. Two and a half years, coming up, something like that, since he uh, um, departed this mortal coil. Two and a bit. It's late 2015, wasn't it? We are, of course, talking about the late Motorhead singer Ian Lemmy Kilmister. Right, now I met him a bunch of times. I had a few drinks with him backstage. I got to know him a bit, but my experience pales in comparison to yours, mate, because mm. you knew him fairly well. Am I right in saying that? I knew Lemmy pretty well, and I knew him for a very, very long time. Well, there's my first sighting of the Great Beast, and then there was my actual interaction a la Attenborough and the Gorillas. As a pale, rosy-cheeked callow youth, youth, yeah. callow youth of whimsical airs, would often go to... Portobello Road Market in London's Notting Hill Gate yeah. area. Mm. And in those days, the early 70s, it was a great place to get what was known then as a quid deal. Mm. You would meet the man with the very long hair and he would like tell you about how it was grown on the side of the mountain. <laughs> and you know, Wait, he was Welsh? Yes, he was indeed Welsh. Welsh slash Indian, <laughs> as were many hippies in those days. And... Oh, really? um, and you could buy records and hippie clothes and, you know, good days, This man. is the 70s, right? This is the early 70s, right. pre-punk, God. right? And the first time I saw Lemmy, he was in Hawkwind at the time, and they were doing one of their many regular sort of free spots on a Saturday afternoon yeah. underneath the flyover. Yeah, and were you a fan of Hawkwind, actually? Well, I loved Silver Machine, and Silver Machine was a big hit when I was 14. Mm. But I wouldn't have been going to Portobello Road probably, you know, till I was like, 15 and fully yeah. grown okay. as a man. Yeah. I mean, all that sort of, let's be honest, from this point of view, it's kind of hippie, spacey nonsense from one point of view. Do you think it stands up? Sorry, hang on. Uh, I'm talking about Hawkwind. Hawkwind yeah. does nonsense. Well, I'm afraid not, I'm going to take that view. No, no that's not a concept <laughs> I recognise at all. Now, in the early 70s, let me tell you something. Yeah, yeah. There was the Pink Floyd, if you happen to have been at Cambridge and Eton, and then there was Hawkwind, who were for the likes of me, and you. Mm. And they were, as Lemmy once said to me, Hawkwind were like the Pink Floyd, except with Hawkwind, the spaceship was always broken. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what it was. And let me tell you what else. Nonsense indeed. Yeah. When you've got a six foot five Amazonian woman naked, cavorting in the late summer dappled sunlight of Portobello Road and many Chillums. What a beautiful woman. 
Yes. Stacia Blake. Yes. 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 Let me tell you something. At the age mm. of 15, no internet, no internet porn. or. Yeah. But this was in the flesh, as it yeah. were, in yeah. the flesh. But juxtaposed... Here's Stacia, who really was incredibly mind-bogglingly yeah. gorgeous. Yes, she was. And standing next to her is what looks like the biker from hell. Yeah. Very scary guy, he seemed to me. Yeah. Uh, Those very, teeth, right? Well, and very the... few teeth. Yeah. Very few teeth. More warts than teeth. He, he... was never a model, an advocate of healthy living, particularly. Let me. Well, no. In fact, well, we're jumping a bit forward, right? But he made it to 70 years old, didn't he? In just 2015. about. Yeah, I, just I mean, about. Apparently, I read this, more people die immediately after their birthday than at other times because people hang on for these things, right? right. If they're ill, they hang on for their birthday. Right. For him, obviously, it was important because it was his 70th birthday. Now, no one would have predicted him living that long, would they? I think he was more hanging on for the next blowjob, personally, <laughs> knowing Lemmy as I did. I, I don't think birthdays meant a great deal for him. This is the man who, you know, famously sang about not wanting to live forever. Yeah, right. I pulled him up on it, you know, mm. as you would. I mm. said, well, look, Townsend had hope I die before I grow old. Yeah. Well, he's really fucking old now, so yeah. that looks silly. It's not worked it? out for him. That's not worked out at all, really. <laughs> I said, what about you with I don't want to live forever? I said, what, you know, and he said, no, 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 no. What I mean is I'd like to go the day before forever. <laughs> By the way, listeners, and we do appreciate you tuning in, Mick and I have a, a sort of long-standing habit of going out for a curry every few months. And what we do is, on these occasions, is we have a few drinks, and we essentially do what we're doing now, which is exchange stories about the people we've met. And when we were putting together ideas for this series, Lemmy was the first guy we came up with because... From my point of view, Mick, he was unique. I don't. Th- I know people talk bullshit all the time about there won't be another Lemmy, there can't be this, that and the other. I think in this case, the hyperbole might have been right, would you say? There isn't really another Lemmy no, around, there, is there? No, no yeah, there, yeah. there was none before and there will be none now. So what was it about him then that made him what he was? There was his peculiar lifestyle, which he was utterly unashamed about. So what was that then? Let's break it down. What, what did he do? I mean, we know he took a lot of speed. Is that what you're talking about? No, I don't think it's just the speed. Loads of rock stars take drugs. Yeah. Loads of rock stars drink. Loads of rock stars have sex. Those are sort of defining facts about being a rock star. Right. Otherwise, why would you want to be a rock star right. if you didn't want to do that? Yeah. You know, That's why people are fascinated with the idea of it, aren't they? That's probably why people are tuning in, you know, because they want to hear what goes on backstage. With Lemmy, you know, you can take that to the nth degree. But with him, that wasn't the special source, as it were. That yeah. wasn't the, the cosmic appeal. With Lemmy, especially in the 60s and 70s, we grew up... I don't know if kids today. I can't kids believe these I days. fucking said that. Anyway, I, <laughs> I don't know how in contemporary society um, yeah. people realise quite what a revolutionary world these guys built for us. Yeah, you know there were no maps drawn, no rules written, and Lemmy very much exemplified that idea of the rock star speaking truth to power. The rock star not doing it for the money. Yeah. Because he never had any, right? He was always broke. Whatever money he had, he spent. By the end, he did have some money. I mean, I'd like to have the kind of money Lemmy had at the time he died. But then, you know, he always had to keep working. I mean, he just burned through it like there was no tomorrow. Because for Lemmy, there really wasn't any tomorrow. He lived in a kind of perpetual today. But, you know, it's a lost idea now, this idea of rock Mm. stars that, you know, leave money on the table. Yeah. Because they actually just want to be free. They're symbols of freedom. Yeah. They're symbols of doing it in the way they want to do it and to hell with what anybody else thinks. And so many fake it. Yeah. Or they start out like that and the minute they get the mansion and the Yoko Ono wife, you know, it, forget it, it's over. Do people know about his name? Because Lemmy was always famous for borrowing money. I worked at Step Forward Records, a little punk label in 78. Yeah. And that was just off the Portobello Road. Mm. And there was a pub there, name I now cannot remember, but, you know, the Red Bell, the Lion's Tail. Anyone who emails us and lets us know the name of the pub will get a broad smile of recognition from us. He'd be in that pub at the fruit machine and he'd see you and you kind of would avert your gaze because you knew it was coming. He'd go, what? Let me a quid. You know, you know, and, and but Straight if he, if he won, yeah. he would come back and give you like a hundred pennies, you know, or fifty two p's. Or but back in the seventies, you couldn't go near. You could, Hello, mate, how you doing? Without him going, let me a quid. Yeah. It's funny because in his I autobiography, let, let me a quid. In yeah, his he autobiography, it, yeah. he denies all knowledge of this. Yeah, but you got to remember, Lemmy was also one of the world's greatest liars. Mm, ah, was he now? He, of course, mm. in a kind of roguish way, in a mythological way. Yeah, he didn't lie so much as write the correct version of history Mm. according to him. Well, don't we do that ourselves? 
No, I've never told a lie. No, of course not. In Mick. my life, did he ever sell out at all? I think he tried to. <laughs> you know, I mean, we all try to. Don't he failed we? to sell out. I well, love that idea. you know, I mean, it's the only thing he ever failed at. I mm. think. God bless him. He did try. I mean, when um, Motorhead's career in the eighties faded here yeah. in Britain. Yeah. When the three amigos line up of Filthy Phil, Fast Eddie and Lemmy... Sadly all departed. You know, they lost the magic chemistry, the formula, Mm. the image. And uh, their career was absolutely going downhill in terms of record sales here. So they got a new label, got a new manager, moved to Los Angeles. Sony, wasn't it? They signed to Sony. Yes, and that was... Unlikely sort of deal when you think about it. Well, the reason they signed to Sony was because they hooked up with a guy called Phil Carson. Yeah. He was Zeppelin's go-to guy. He signed ACDC. He signed Yes, ELP. Now, you spoke to Phil for your Lemmy book, I believe. I've known Phil for years. So I've spoken to him for a few of my books, but yep. definitely for Lemmy. And Phil was based in L.A. Yeah. He, he had a great relationship with Sony. He was managing the band Bonham at the time, mm. Jason Bonham's then group, yep. who were also signed to Sony. You know, he had a good thing going. Yeah. So he was able to put a deal together on the basis that if Phil wants a, a deal for this band and they've got a track record in the UK, yeah. people don't really know them in America, this could be good. So they signed to Sony and they did great things like The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson uh, playing. And, uh, you know, he got he managed to sneak him into the Grammys one year and... All this very American establishment stuff in, in order to get yeah. them taken seriously yeah. and kind of relaunch the brand, yeah. as it were. And Lemmy bought into all of that. He was desperate for it to happen. I remember seeing photos of him wearing his little short shorts, very tanned, Yeah, living the L.A. thing. Got his teeth done, didn't he? He got his teeth done. Yeah. And as he once said to me about his hair, we have the technology. Yeah. Because it was starting to go, wasn't it? It was well going. I mean, you you show me a 55-year-old speed freak that has any hair left other than his bollocks, (laughs) and I'll show you a liar. He looked shit hot, though, didn't he, when he he went to America? He looked completely rejuvenated. You think? Listen, he loved L.A. Yeah, yeah. You know, I lived in L.A. for a couple of years, and he was arriving as I was leaving. You know, I mean, the Rainbow Bar and Grill, it wasn't just his spiritual home. It was his home. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the place, in case people don't know, where, you know, famously Led Zeppelin used to have their own table at the back yeah. and surrounded by their entourage yeah. and groupies and drug dealers. And it's on the Sunset Strip. It's it? on the Sunset yeah. Strip. I used yeah. to go there myself. Yeah. Purely in a, a professional. A couple of light ales for medicinal purposes? Possibly. Yeah, yeah. Would you say you were and... friends with Lemmy? Hmm. Was anyone I, friends with Well, him? I don't know if Lemmy ever had that many friends. Mm. He had a lot of very good mates. And I would say I was a good mate. If your definition of, of a good mate is someone you lend money to, mm. then I was a good mate of Lemmy's. <laughs> and did you ever get it back? Or is that I question? did. No, in fairness yeah, to yeah. him, he actually wrote me a cheque, which I just thought, is it even worth putting in the bank? You know. I think it was um, Phil Campbell. The Moto's later guitar player, mm. who said, Lemmy's a complete bastard mm. uh, and he will shag your missus always oh, to yeah. that effect, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. Was there some truth in that? I mean, you... There was 100% truth. So he's like, was he a lovable rogue or was he actually a pain in the arse, you know, because of these Well, I think Lemmy's height, and this yeah. is no exaggeration, he was drinking about a gallon of whiskey a day. He was taking about seven grams of speed Good a Lord. day. Mm. And then he would go out in the night, you know, and, and you know, <laughs> smoke about 100 joints and snort cocaine and... Because he used to have the leather jackets with the little pockets, and there'd always be something in each pocket. I kid, I kid you not. <laughs> a little treat. When I did his PR in the mid nineties, he'd sit there two in the morning. And I'm thinking, I've got to leave. I've got to leave. I've got to go to bed. I've got to go to bed. And he'd suddenly go, like, no, <laughs> no, not more. I've got some before you, Mick. That's yeah. not really how he spoke, is it? Well, it's kind yeah. of like that. Yeah, yeah. The only drug he, he had a problem with was heroin. Yes. Uh, although, of course, he did try it. There wasn't anything Lemmy didn't try, mm. you know. He had friends who died from taking he, it. And it, the love of his life died as well. The love of his life he found dead in the bath from... Uh, Which is horrendous. I mean, that really is. Well, that's going to change you. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. there were a couple of ca- occasions in his life when he came close to love, as it were, real love mm. or, you know, connectedness, relationship, long-term mm. relationship. But, I mean, he said to me, he said, look, you know, I- I'm happy to stay with one woman for the rest of my life mm. until I meet someone with bigger tits and a nicer smile and a shorter skirt. Yeah, I mean, sure. yeah. and you would laugh mm. because it was true. Mm. And, and so my point is, is yes, of course he was a bastard. Yeah. All rock stars are fucking bastards. Mm. There should be a sign on the wall. 
your favourite rock star who you look up to for life lessons is often a terrible bastard mm. okay i always have the scales fall from my eyes whenever i go out with you and say look what's <laughs> rockstar x like what's rockstar i really like and you say oh he's a total wanker terrible bastard and i'm not i know i feel like a sort of idiot you know because i'd kind of bought no, into the no the, the no you, no you bring me. the light you're a bringer of light oh, thank you for you are a bringer of light. no you are you, you make me feel better lucifer about the light bringer well you know it's a thin <laughs> line it's a thin line but my point is Charles. yes if i can vaguely remember what it was no we're doing well so they're all bastards yeah Let's face it, most people are fucking bastards when you get right down to we it. We all I mean, have that side. Well, not me, but... Um, Our producer, Ian. Yeah, oh, definitely him. Yeah. Jeez, he doesn't even hide it. I think he might be listening. No, no he never listens to what we do, let's be fair. <laughs> My point is, is we forgave him. Oh, yeah. Not yeah. just because he's Lemmy the lovable rogue, but because he's Lemmy who made a band... That didn't sound like anybody else. Right. He, he's Lemmy that inspired, yeah. I mean, seriously inspired, Guns and Roses, yeah. Metallica, yeah. all of them, in fact. Yeah, well, you um, know, that attitude, whether it's real or not, yeah. the attitude seems to have inspired a lot of people. Be like Lemmy, act like Lemmy. I know, I love it when you see legs. Kate Moss in a Motorhead T-shirt. Oh, don't even start me. I wrote uh, Lemmy's obituary for The Guardian a couple of years ago. I was waiting for when you were about to drop The Guardian drop into the did conversation. The, did, did you hear the clang? <laughs> Do you write for The I Guardian often, Joel? Well, occasionally they, they pull me in as, a, they? as an obit. They writer. drag you in they against your will. They drag me kicking and screaming to yeah. write an obituary. Yes. Yeah. And, Even, you, and then later you frame them, don't you? Well, I do have a couple actually stuck on, my, uh, on the wall in my office. I did Jeff Hanneman's from Slayer and I was oh, quite right. proud of that. The people at the Guardian are very open-minded, but you wouldn't necessarily expect the robot's desk to have heard of Slayer. So I had to work a little bit hard to get that in. But you know, how many emails did you send begging them to write? No, it? I, I, honest, I merely suggested it. Liar. I floated it past them. They gave them a full page. <laughs> so th- my point being that the Guardian did we finish my point? I've given a long time trying to make my <laughs> point, but now we're on to your point. So, so what is your point? Well, my point is only this: that. I knew him slightly. You knew him rather well, much better than I did. And when I was generating this obituary for him, which was a long one, you know, lots of space, it's a very difficult thing to do because you don't want to be too sentimental. You don't want to be too reverential. You want to tell the story straight, but make it clear what the guy was, what his essence was, you know. And in doing so, I inevitably managed to lean on some of the mythology that may not have been actually factual, because you do. You're trying to explain to someone who has never heard of Motorhead why Lemmy matters, what he was like, how much the image of the man represents the truth of the man. And it ties in with my earlier point that perhaps a lot of people aren't aware of how much of it was artifice and how much of right, it was media spin. Right, right. My impression is that because he wasn't a handsome man, he didn't really hold back on what he said in interviews, that you largely got the real Lemmy. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, you def- largely No, no, it. definitely, yeah, definitely. Okay. I think sometimes to his detriment. Yeah, right. I actually found him very handsome. Did you? Yeah. By the way, I think they were moles on his cheek, not warts. I've spent quite a while trying to <laughs> clarify this point. He was adamant that they were moles. Um, they were the biggest fucking moles. Yeah, they were like they were like nipples. Yeah. They were huge. Yeah, they weren't moles. And mate. he shaved them. <laughs> yeah, he had them grafted on in LA. He had his teeth done. He had his hair done. He had extra <clears throat> moles grafted on. Extra ones <laughs> grafted with hairs. On. Yeah, were they actually on. like a cow's udder or something? Is that what oh, they were. I don't even want to. They're so <laughs> fucking repellent. I. I mean, you know. You could have your eye out with one of those. Now, women, many women, I should say, loved him, right? Deeply. And and enjoyed his company. Yes. You know, and I can tell you about a couple. You look at me and you, who are like Brad Pitt, (laughs) and then you look at Lemmy, who was less like Brad Pitt. Nonetheless, his strike rate, shall we say, would be many hundreds times more than mine. You you clearly are a different kettle of fish. Well, this is an interesting thing about Lemmy, and it it goes into another aspect of his character, okay? Because the lovable rogue, the biker slash rock and roller yeah. the speed yeah. the moles everything Thank you know you, the whole thing but here's what isn't said very often yeah. and i'm trying to remember her name she was steven tyler's go oh, um bb buell bb buell i have no idea if i pronounced that right bb buell yeah. well bb buell in the late 70s is one of the most beautiful women i'd ever met in my entire life she ended up with Todd Rundgren, with Jimmy Page. I Did mean, she, she end up with you, Mick? If she'd played her cards right... You would have had a chance. She might have had a chance. But at the time, I was very busy with my work. Mm. Mm. <laughs> uh, anyway, BB told me she never slept with Lemmy, but she said a very good friend of hers slept with Lemmy. Yeah. Her friend told her Lemmy was the gentlest, kindest, most considerate lover Mm. she'd ever had. Mm. And I have been told this by other women that I did know. Yeah. 
But that feeds into a side of Lemmy I'd love to mention because Lemmy was extremely well read. Yes. I once um, went into his bedroom in a place in Labrick Grove he lived in. Mm. And um, he had, you know, Nazi regalia everywhere and books on the Second World War. Yeah. And then right by the bed, yeah. where he'd obviously been reading in bed the night before, probably several nights before, because he only went to bed once right. a month, let's be honest, mm-hmm. um, was P.G. Woodhouse. Loved Jeeves. He loved that arch humour. It's amazing. sort of fragile comedy that's beautifully, elegantly put together. It's... it's... Well, what, it, what does that it say was, about well, that was, well, I think it says that, you know, he was a funny and man. A wordsmith, I think. He was a funny man. Yeah. He was a great wordsmith. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the lyrics to Ace of Spades, a wonderful limerick poem, bawdy, 17th century mm. street anthem. I mean, just beautifully put together. So he's obviously keen on words, keen on the language. So there was a brain there. And I made this point, again, in the obit that I wrote, that he was... I don't know if it's going too far to say he was an intellectual, but if it is, it's not going very too far. You know, the man was a brain. He was politically quite astute, I think, and informed. Yeah. He certainly had convictions. Can I just end my point? You may. You may. Because you made a point and an earlier point. (laughs) I keep trying to butt in. I would just like to... It's all about mimic. But to show you something about Lemmy. All right. In 1986, imagine the lights go down. Picture the scene. Picture the scene. Lights go down. Spotlight on me in a crowded bar. And um, my mother had just died, okay? Yeah. She died young, la, la, la. It was just a disease. It wasn't an accident. It was just one of those things. Yeah. And um, I'm 28 at the time. I'm mm. at a gig. Mm. And in those days in the 80s, any gig you went to in London, mm. and I mean any gig, Lemmy would be there, either on the stage or in the bar, usually the bar. I'm in this gig my mum's just died. Yeah. People going, hi, Mick, how's it going? I don't go, well, my mum just died, no. you know. Mm. And I don't know how he'd heard about it, but suddenly Lemmy's sidled up and he goes to me, I heard your mum just died. Mm. And I went, oh, not at all prepared for this. And I was like, uh, um, uh, didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Wrong context. Yes. And um, I can't remember the exact words he said, but he spoke to me extremely tenderly, mm. I would say for a good 10 minutes. Good Lord. And at that point, he was kind of batting people away. Because he just wanted to say his piece to me. See, that says a lot, I think. I couldn't believe it. He had more to say about it than I did because Mm. I wasn't old enough to have the words. I didn't know. And at the funeral, that I'd I'd spent most of my time comforting other people. Yes. Mm. But I didn't have to do that with him. He knew exactly the words. See, that takes a certain interpersonal, I don't want to say skill, but a kind of a warmth, warmth, I think. Empathy. empathy. Thank you is the word I'm searching for. Yes. But also a great... um, Uh, uh, you know, um, the irony here is I can't think of the word mm. for speaking well. Uh, <laughs> Loquaciousness, eloquence, eloquence. Thank yeah. God you're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, no, in- invoice you. He, for that. he had empathy, yeah. eloquence, yeah. and there must be a thirty. Oh, we'll but, think of something. Yeah, we will. I wanted it's to probably ask in you... one of his zipped pockets. Well, I might, might be able to link to it. I'm going to invoke an unlikely name now, and, oh. that, and that is the late astronomer Sir Patrick Moore. Yes. Um, who I got to know slightly uh, because I'd interviewed him a couple of times. And uh, we, I went down to his house and got some photos of him taken with my kids. And, you know, it was a very nice little visit. On his death, I uh, put a picture of him on Facebook. And in the picture, he's holding a copy of my Motorhead book, which I'd written. He was quite pleased with it, actually. He said, uh, hey, this Lemmy fellow comes from Stoke-on-Trent, so do I. And I went, oh, That's very good. Oh, wonderful. And uh, I put this picture up. said, oh, yeah, you know, how funny. You know, I wonder if Sir Patrick's enjoyed my book about Motorhead. And someone, a journalist whose opinion I respect, wrote, um, I think they were both closet Nazis. Ooh. Mm. And uh, I asked him to justify this. And he said, well, Sir Patrick was the leader of a political party. It wasn't UKIP, but it was along the lines of UKIP in right. the 70s. Well, how, how, how long ago? In the 70s? In the, I think it was in the 70s. And Lemmy, of course, had his Nazi memorabilia collection. Mm-hmm. Of course, I disagreed with this. And I said, no, this is bollocks for loads of reasons. And in doing so, and this is my point, really, I referred back to a conversation I'd had with Lemmy in about the year 2000. I was interviewing him for some magazine. And what had happened before that interview was that someone had written into Q magazine about Lemmy's supposed right-wing Nazi political views based on the fact that he had a massive collection of Nazi stuff. I took it upon myself to write to Q magazine. Did you? And said, this is bollocks. I work for Record Collector magazine. I've interviewed Lemmy a couple of times. His views are pretty much always left of centre. 
the fact that he collects the stuff, mm. you might well successfully argue that it's in poor taste, but I wouldn't go any further than that. Mm. His views don't even resemble Nazism. So anyone who thinks they do is either wrong or they're not thinking clearly. I told Lemmy that I'd had this dialogue with Q magazine. He was super pleased with this and asked me to fax him the original letter and my letter in response. Wow. Faxes went backward and forward. And at the end of the dialogue, he sent me this long response by fax, handwritten, which I still have. I have handwritten faxes from Lemmy, which I will tell you about when you finish It was his big thing, communication by fax. It's wonderful, isn't it? it? Was it in gothic sort of... No, (laughs) No, because mine was. One of his... No, it was was quite a nice hand, as they say. Right, You know? And I remember at the top of the fax sheet, it had his phone number plus Lemmy, bass vocals. Bass stroke vocals at the top. You know, you'd obviously (laughs) type that in. In case you... uh, had forgotten. Now, me personally, when I look at people who collect Nazi stuff, Jeff Hanneman, who I mentioned earlier, he was a massive collector of Nazi stuff. I mean, I wouldn't have the fucking stuff in my house. But do you just I keep it in the shed? Don't you? <laughs> but, but would I chunk of your car? Would I castigate anyone who chose to collect the stuff because they like the aesthetic? No, I probably would not. You know, he was extremely knowledgeable. Mm. So, you know, he was showing me a swastika, mm. and he was explaining how the Nazis misappropriated it that in fact the what we call the swastika goes back thousands of years you know a a, a hindu or indian symbol yeah it's a symbol of very good luck right and lemmy's pr at the time i think you know nita nita patel yeah wonderful woman uh, indian and she was with us while he was showing this and she recognized it immediately something from weddings she'd been to and yeah so he was very knowledgeable about that and it wasn't just Nazi memorabilia. Yeah. Lemmy had swords from the First World War. He had daggers that went back to the Boer War. He had all kinds of stuff, but his own sort of special area of interest was the World War II yeah. Nazi regalia. Yeah. But here's the other thing, you know, because obviously I talked to Lemmy about it as well, and he said, listen, m- the love of my life was black. Yes. His current girlfriend at the time was black. Yes. He believed in personal freedom. Mm. He believed in as long as what I do doesn't hurt you, Mm. then I should be able to do whatever I want. Mm. And you, whatever you want to do, as long as it doesn't hurt me or anybody else, you're cool. You go for it. You do your thing. Mm. He also said, and I thought this was interesting, he said, you know, if the Nazis came back today, he said, I'd be the first one they arrested and put up against the wall. Of course. Yeah. You can't argue with these things. But can I... Whatever it is you're going to bring do. Bring you yes, back to you another, may. My, you may. my earlier point. I love the way you're asking my permission, though. <laughs> Keep doing that. <laughs> you talked about faxes. Yes. Quick story that always makes me laugh. Mm. And I think it kind of shows the sensitive side of Lemmy and also the bastard, if you like. Yeah. But also funny. Mm. So anyway, I, I can't remember getting into this, but we're talking about poetry. Mm. And he starts telling me how, you know, he apart from lyrics, he writes reams of poetry. Mm, mm. And at the time, I actually was having some of my poetry published. I don't know why I'm laughing. I didn't know you wrote poetry. I'm a great poet. Does it rhyme? No, fuck oh, off. For Christ's sake, That's Nick. not poetry. That's not real, then, is it? No. <laughs> no. Anyway. Next time, uh, you have to read some of your poetry on this. Yeah, I think Ian might step in. I think I could read it all day, but whether it make the actual broadcast, uh, that's debatable. Well, it should. Yeah, I can see you looking at him and him going like this. You must be fucking joking. Yeah, that's it. Shut him up. Anyway, so we're talking to Lemmy about poetry. He says, I really write a lot of poetry. I said, wow, I'd love to see some because I was Mm. writing a lot myself at the time. Mm. Next thing, because he's in LA, he's Mm. eight hours behind. I mean, I'm in bed at about 2 a.m. one night and I could hear... Yeah, like the um, football results. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it went on and on because the bastard's sending me dozens of pages, yeah, as right? As he said, reams of it, right, yeah. And I, I had this old-fashioned fax machine where it wasn't like this clean A4 paper that you get now. In fact, we don't yeah. have Mac fax machines now, but no. it was that greasy stuff that was all on one roll. I know it, yeah. Anyway, about <clears throat> 10 foot of this comes through. And I'm looking at it in the morning over a cup of tea and, you know, bleary. And mm. and I, I couldn't read it all because, A, there was too much of it. And, B, it was, it was handwritten. Yeah. But it was in this very kind of stylized gothic hand really that's how i remember it yeah are you sure you went under the influence of something Mick? well it's possible no no and this thing was i just remember it was like um uh, this isn't a direct quote obviously because no. a long time ago but it was from the hills came the hell claw of satan <laughs> you could and it was like the blood flowed quickly over the virgin's toes and was yeah. he entirely serious i or was he taking the piss? Come well, here's the thing. Yeah. I think he was serious. Because oh. you could write a page or two of that taking the piss, but there were about six different poems, all long poems. And I just imagined him speeding all night. Yeah, He's been yeah. up for five nights, 
And now he's getting to the good stuff with his poetry, you know. Yeah. Hegemon came from the thundercloud. And was it sort of embarrassing Jim Morrison-style poetry, or was there some value to it, as you recall? Well, um, As a poet yourself, Mick. Well, speaking as a contemporary poet, (laughs) and a contemporary of such poets as Lemmy... Uh, Never mind Philip Bruce Larkin. Dickinson. Bruce you know, Dickinson. Enormously fantastic literary figures of our time. Literary giants. Giants. Yes, much better than Jim Morrison. Yeah. No, Jim Morrison. That Jim Morrison is all like... It's uh, not setting the bar very high. The ghost it? of the dead Indian came down the highway, the child with his frog in his head. Doesn't Jim Morrison at one point say, death and my cock? Yeah. Uh, are all death the, of my cock. Death of my cock. Yeah, I think that was the best line he ever wrote, actually, speaking as an older man. We'll I have to talk to about him. Jim Morrison, won't we, on this? Uh, but, definitely, but back to Lemmy. Yeah. So I'm reading this, and I'm actually very taken aback that he's taken the time to feed these endless pages into yeah. a fax machine, yeah, yeah. handwritten. So I thought, wow, do you know what? I'll send him some of mine. So, <laughs> so I printed out three or four poems, and I faxed him back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And guess what? I don't know. What? Fuck all happened. Nothing. <laughs> he was this much interested. Maybe he was speechless because it was so good. Maybe he just didn't give a fuck about anything I had to say or write or anything. And I, and I think that's very typical of pretty much every rock star I've ever met. One or two exceptions. So, in a way, does this sum him up? He didn't give a fuck? He didn't give a fuck profoundly. Yeah, yeah. But I do also think, especially the sort of last, his American years, put it that way. Yeah. I think he'd turned not giving a fuck slightly into a protective shield a kind of uh, comfort zone mm. because in the 70s he loved Hawkwind you know he, he I mean he wept for yeah. days after he was fired yeah didn't he shag all their girlfriends when he got kicked out after him? they fired him mm. for taking the wrong drugs that was it because they were all into acid and he was into speed which mm. as Dave Brock Hawkwind's leader told me at the time was considered poor show god very poor show elitism within space rock yeah mm. there are the captains and then there are the crew <laughs> The peasantry. Yeah. And, and Lemmy was the crew. Unfortunately, it was a poor show with the speed. So they sacked him. He said, and he cried. He cried for days. Christ. And he said, but when he got home, he got his own back by shagging all their own old ladies. Well, he had 30 years of the last laugh, didn't he, really? Or 40 years, really. When oh, you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Dead Rock Stars with Mick Wall and Joel McIver. You know, Motorhead was originally called Bastard. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he was a bastard. Mm. I mean, you know, his, his fa- mother and father weren't married. Yes. And that's what they called those people in the 50s. Yeah. Like myself. Mm. People call you bastard, Joel, for, for different, different reasons. reasons. Yes. But I just thought I'd make that clear. Lemmy was called bastard for all the above reasons and more. But in the 70s and 80s, he was a man who, who was in, determined to do it his way. Mm. And mm. believed, you know, you talk about you see the scales fall from your eyes. Yeah. Lemmy was the great romantic. I mean, he was an enormous innocent person in it's the 70s and 80s to make that point 
Right. He he really was, and, you know. and he believed in yeah. rock and roll. He believed in the sixties ethos of yeah. freedom and equality for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, he was asked once how acid had changed him. Right. In all seriousness, he, he was asked that question, which I think it's a fantastic question, which I've stolen a few times and asked a few interviewees, right. because it really makes people step back. Those who have taken it and, and gained something from it, and he said essentially it made him a more tolerant person. Yeah. Which I fully understand. You know, there's something about seeing the. The wiring behind the boards. And, uh, absolutely. And seeing your place in the firmament a little bit more your clearly. Your tiny, tiny place right. in the giant firmament. Yeah, you know. So just one more thing I want to say about Lemmy, really, from your experience. Did he, in a sense, hide behind the sort of slightly comedy image that, well, that began with, and I'll just run through, there was Stand By Your Man, right, that he did with Wendy O. Williams. There was Tiz Was. There was The Young Ones. And then in later life, he did that Kit Kat advert. He did, I don't know, I can he, run up examples, he, he but you know a, what I mean? There was a kind a, of a family-friendly Lemmy image, which appeared. He did a movie with the comedy of course. people as well. Uh, Eat, Eat the Rich, the rich called. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. he cameoed in hardware <coughs> science fiction films. So he yeah. did stuff, Yeah, most of which was not entirely serious outside Motorhead. Was and this he a did good that thing, lovely slow version of Ace of Spades for a... Beer ad, Cronenberg? Yeah, and the last ad he did was for Milk. Milk? Yeah. which Amazing. Lev, Apart from rubbing on his... Cock. I don't think Lemmy had ever used milk in his life. Can you life. testify in front of a court that he rubbed the milk on his cock? I couldn't testify in front of a court, but stood at a bar six pints in, I can tell you with as a matter of absolute <laughs> fact that the only time he ever touched the stuff. But why, why would you apply it to the old chap? Well, because the old chap is then venturing into places where milk is appreciated. I see. I, I, I the mouth, I see. Joel. The mouth. I've got to spell it out. The mouth. Is it more nutritious that way? Yes. I don't think you need to, uh, you know... Overthink it. I don't think... (laughs) (laughs) What about this comedy image, then? Okay, well, this kind of is a bit like what I was saying about the comfort zone of I don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah. He traded on it. Yeah. But I think he also detested it on some level. You know, there was the famous occasion when he walked off of the set of Nevermind the Buzzcocks. There were other occasions when he walked out on things because... You know, in his heart, Lemmy mm. was a purist. And Lemmy, mm. you know, worked for Hendrix. You know, he'd been a hen- roadie for Hendrix. And learned a lot from him. He admired him greatly for his uh, polite attitude to women, I believe, which was quite progressive. Absolutely. Well, Lemmy was a gentleman. And that's mm. another reason why women loved him. It wasn't just that he was a rock star. He had good manners. He mm. had a good upbringing. Yeah. He was very middle class in many ways. Actually, I'll tell you one quick story before I get to the uh, comfort zone. Yeah, thing. yeah. I went to see him once. This isn't about, I don't know. 79 or 80 or something. Yeah. And um, turned up at the place he was living in at the time, in Edgware Road somewhere. It was like a a bed sit. Yeah. By the way, all he ate, to my knowledge ever, were either toasted cheese sandwiches (laughs) or chips. So in this little bed sit, he had a chip fry. You know the old-fashioned, like Uh, in a chip shop where you lower it into the thing? If you saw the the film they made about him, the opening opening scene is him making his own chips in a deep fat fryer. Well, he used to make a cheese sandwich and throw that in as well. (laughs) Deep fried cheese. Yeah. But he never got fat, did he? Yeah. He was always in good do, shape. Do you want one? Okay. Nah, yeah, well, I'm good. Me, yeah, yeah. Never got fat. Well, as well as that one cheese sandwich. Do you want some one milk plate on it? I've got some left over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the lemmy uh, fried cheese sandwich, <laughs> chips and milk I didn't diet. use it all earlier. Yeah. Put some spare. <laughs> do you want some? Here you go. All I've spilled it down your leg. Um... Again, I'm sorry. Now, I'm now, sorry now, let me finish. I'm very my story. Let me finish my point from my earlier point. You went round his house, flat, flat rather, and he'd had a fire on the chip fryer. Oh, crikey! So he'd called Doug Smith, his manager, said, "Get round here quick! I've set fire to the chip fryer." <laughs> he called and his Doug manager. Goes, yeah, so, what do you, so what do you want me to do? <laughs> I don't fucking know. You're my manager. <laughs> But that's a very diva-esque thing to do. I'm quite surprised. Well, here we go. Okay, yeah. So this is like the next day. Doug has told me this. He says, look, his chip fry is broken. He's got nothing to eat. Take him to the pub and just get him something. So I turned up and he comes to the door. And it's still like, you know, the smoke. And, yeah, yeah. You know, he comes to the door dressed head to foot in an American Civil War uniform. <laughs> okay. Okay. From the South. Oh, the, crikey. Yeah, the, um, the yeah, Confederates. Confederate. He's in a complete Confederate uniform, including hat and boots. And he opened the door to me, like just like normal. I just yeah. went, you're not fucking going out looking like that. And he went, what's wrong with it? I was very stylish. <laughs> and, and I said, let me please. We can't go down the pub, you know, with you dressed as fucking Colonel Custer right. or whoever he is. Or Colonel Sanders, yeah. Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Fuck off, we're going. Have you brought any money? I said, yeah, Doug would give me some money to give him as well. So we go down the pub, 
Me in my early 80s garb of jeans, not much from different today. Jeans, Did you have a mullet at that point? I was working on it. Good. A training yeah. mullet. It was a transitional period <laughs> between the hippie hair to the waist, <clears throat> the punk hair to the sky, and what would now become a magnificent mullet. Yeah. Leave it long at the back, mate. Yeah, yeah. Good on top. <laughs> so, uh, none at the sides. You so, went to the pub. We'd walk down the fucking street, me and Colonel Sanders... You know, with his moles, and we go into the pub. Thank you. And I, and I suddenly realised he's quite camp because he was loving it. It reminded me of what it must have been like to walk down the street with um, naked civil servant. That guy, uh, Quentin Crisp. I could imagine walking down the street with Quentin Crisp in nineteen thirty. Sort of camping it up almost in a provocative, yeah, sure, entirely centre of attention way. And he was loving this, loving it, loving it. I think he'd gotten so used to it by then. Yeah. The, in fact, the kind of the Lemmy look, as we now know it, I think it had sort of ceased to have an effect. No, Post-punk, everybody wore a leather jacket and looked threatening. Yeah, you know? yeah. Now, no, he's going to dress as That's a amazing. Confederate general. And did he attract attention when you were in the pub? Oh, fuck yeah. And no. he liked it? Uh, he liked it if it was from women. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't like any attention from men at all. I mean, he was he, very alpha male. He wanted to lead the life he led, I think, didn't he? He did, yeah. but here's the thing about when I say the comfort zone. He yeah. gets to America. Yeah. Phil Carson sorts him out with an apartment literally a walk from the Rainbow in <laughs> West Hollywood. Yeah. This is Lemmy heaven. Yeah. So, one thing and another, Phil bails out after a couple of albums, Sony dropped them, he gets a new manager who's also a real kind of daredevil guy. Mm-hmm. And Motorhead eke out Kind of a living on fumes, kind of perpetual victory lap. They really were. Where they'd put out albums, which I know younger fans really enjoyed. And mm. I, I'm often pulled up. In my book, I'm, I get told off all the time because I sort of dismiss those albums somewhat. But I did at the time they came out. Sure, yeah. I just thought it was Lemmy by numbers. Whereas yeah. Overkill, Stone Dead Forever, yeah. all those things to me, I'd never heard anything like that yeah. before. It was new and it was threatening, you know. It was stuff really was, the stuff threatening. stuff was intense. It felt real. Yeah, I see. Yeah. And also he'd adopted the hat. He, he became like an action figure. Well, that's it. I don't want to say a parody of himself because that's not what I mean. But it would be understandable if people thought that that was what he had become. He became Lemmy that, with a trademark symbol after it. You know what I mean? And for me, I often wondered if mm. that was part of his... In your younger days, that's me saying, fuck you to the world. Yeah. But when you get into your 60s, I think that's me saying, I'm still cool. Don't forget me. Because he hadn't sold a million records. No. You know. He'd made money through writing million selling songs for Ozzy Osbourne and yeah. things like that. But, yeah. you know, Slash would pay fealty to him. So yeah. I say it, fealty. Yeah. Lars would kiss his ass. Of course. Everybody kissed Lemmy's ass. Yeah. You know, Keith Richards would be Lemmy. Yeah. yeah. You know. But Lemmy never had the dough. He, he said to me once, he said, how do you think I feel when I'm walking down the street in Los Angeles at the age of 65 and some 18-year-old kid yells, Lemmy, dude, ace of spades, man. <laughs> he goes, do they think I haven't written another fucking song in 30 years? And I'm thinking, well, that probably is what they're thinking. Yeah. That's your hit, mate. Yeah. That's your, not his only hit, but that's his stairway to heaven in a way. Exactly. You know? All right, good. Well, look, I mean... Lemmy, it was the obvious place to start with this series, I think. There won't be another one like him. They um, really won't. We They're should really also won't. tip the hat, should we not, to Fast Eddie Clark and uh, Phil Taylor, who died in the last couple of years. Right, look, so we're going to sign off and we're going to give Lemmy, I think, um, Mark's, should we say out of five, as a star? Five. Five, five out of five. I agree. I mean, you can't not. You know. uh, and also, too, not just a rock star. I mean, you know, people like Jeffrey Bernard. Yes. Or um, George Melly. Or, you know, these various kind of English... Ex- Richard Harris. Yeah. Those yeah. people that took it to the extreme. Yeah, they were really good at what they did. Yeah. But we remember them fondly for more than just what they did. They transcended their niche. Right. His taste for excess... I don't even know if it was... I think it was kind of a fundamental... Need. Need. It's like saying he's liking for oxygen. <laughs> You know, but he he didn't die of an overdose. You know, he he didn't do like Duff McKagan did and drink sixteen bottles of wine a day and have his pancreas removed. Lemmy died of essentially heart failure and prostate cancer at the age of seventeen. Now that to me is not the net result of an incredibly unhealthy lifestyle. Well, are you saying he died of natural causes, brought on and exacerbated by the life he led? Because I bumped into Lemmy very very briefly about six months before he died. Mm. He didn't recognise me. Christ. He didn't recognise anybody. And a photographer had the same experience and said uh, he wept 
after seeing him because he was very, very ill for a very long time. Mm. You know, he was using a mobility scooter towards the end at these festivals, getting around. Um, it was attributed to diabetes, I believe. Well, you know, how, 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 how do you yeah. get diabetes type 2? You know, you get it through... <clears throat> well, you drink Jack Daniels and then you drink vodka and orange. That's a lot of sugar. Yeah, Jack Daniels... It's all turning into a health lecture now, isn't it? What are you doing drinking orange juice? Yeah, I often said to Lemmy, lay off the sugar. <laughs> did you really? No, no did I did fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His influence. I know Metallica pay a lot of lip service. They don't really sound like Motorhead, do they? No, I think his musical legacy is what it is. Mm. I think in the same way that Black Sabbath mm-hmm. had, had a very distinct sound, came yeah. at a very distinct time when it was very new. Yeah. And what came after clearly was influenced to some extent. Right. I mean, Lars yeah. Ulrich yeah. of Metallica ran the Motorhead fan club for, yeah. even as he was forming Metallica. You know, he toured with Motorhead over here as a teenager, mm. very entitled, rich teenager. But nevertheless, mm. he, he yeah. learned a lot of lessons from Lemmy when Lemmy was at his zenith, you know, as an yeah. artist and a yeah. younger man. Of course, Metallica then have gone on and influenced countless yeah. waves of bands and stuff. You know, when I, I remember interviewing Duff and Slash very early on, just mm. after they'd done their first album. Yeah. And they couldn't shut up about Lemmy. And their favorite song was We Are The Road Crew. Yeah. So I think there's a definite musical legacy. However, I think Lemmy's influence does go further than that. Yeah. And I don't mean as an eccentric so much, but as a kind of a figurehead, if you like, mm, mm. for freedom, All right. for not giving a fuck. Mm. That doesn't mean you don't care if the guy over there falls down yeah. and hurts himself. Yeah. It means you don't care what the guy over there thinks about you. And that's a rare thing. You know, many of us say we don't care. Don't we? Absolutely. But actually it needles us a bit when we get a bad review or, or what have you. you know? no, listen, it needled Lemmy too. I remember reviewing... So he was human in that sense. You know, that's all that is. Their famous live album was No Sleep Till Hammersmith. Mm. Now that phrase itself has gone into the lexicon. Yeah. No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> so their famous live album was No Sleep Till yeah. Hammersmith. And then a few years later, they brought out another live album called Everything Louder Than Everything Else. That's the one. I reviewed it mm. and I didn't give it a very good review. Of course, I bump into him. Corners me in the bar again. <laughs> this time, less tender, thoughtful words. What do you fucking like about it then? I said, it's not as good as no sleep. No! He was like, it's like someone had just stabbed him. He went, no, don't say that. Say anything, but not that. Bloody hell. I'd pierced his heart with the one thing he truly didn't want to hear. And looking back, you know, I, I don't think that's a fair assessment at all. I'm sure, in fact, the, the second round was probably first, uh, better than... No sleep. But it's not about whether it's better or worse, whether you needed another one, frankly. Back then, a live album was more of a landmark. It was. And I didn't feel they'd made enough good albums in mm, between to, to justify, justify another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was pissed off with you? Yeah, momentarily. And then and then um, I remember him coming up to me at a Donington. In, in the late 80s, I did a weekly music show for Sky yeah. called The Monsters of Rock. Yes. And um, he used to watch it. And he came up to me and gave me some advice. He said, you've got to grow some facial hair. <laughs> he said, you know, you, you've got the hair, the jacket, the clothes, you know, the, the set with the gravestones and yeah, all that. that shit, you know. And he said, but you look like fucking Bon Jovi or something, you know. It didn't mean I look like Bon Jovi. He meant, you know, you look like a sanitised no, pretty just, boy twat. I'm being quiet because I'm thinking back to the pictures that I've seen of you on that show and you definitely do look a bit um, polite. Well, it was downhill all the way after that. I've had many people tell me that. We've talked a bit about his legacy would you give him stars for death as a career move? Now, that's not meant to be completely cynical. Has his profile risen since his death, as has been the case with so many late musicians that we could name? Well, Ace of Spades became a bigger hit than it was first time around when he mm. died. Mm. I think there is now a, lim- a Lemmy industry that his management yeah. are... What's the polite word here? Are... Committed to preserving, Com- yes. committed to issuing. I mean, very you know, well put. They did a covers arm recently, didn't they? They're very committed to preserving the, the musical legacy. Did you hear their version, Motorhead's cover of uh, Heroes? I oh. hated it. Oh, I loved it. it no, no, fucking awful. No, no. Oh, well, we, we are polar opposites there. No, no, I'm great. right. Yeah, so I'm well, right in this. I have an opinion, but it's the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he tried that stuff. But to me, honestly, that shows me how desperate he was not to just be Lemmy of Motorhead, to show he could no, do more, that. he yeah. was more. We'll be quick about this. I mean, 
the ace of spades, right? Is that really what people will always associate with Lemmy? That and shagging millions of groupies and taking speed? Is there, is there any other aspect that is as important? Ace of spades will always be the calling card. It will be, won't yeah. it? Rolling yeah. Stone, yeah. satisfaction. Yeah. Dylan. Uh, blown in the wind, whatever. Yeah, blown yeah. in the wind or yeah. roll it like a rolling stone. Yeah. Dylan's got a few, actually. Well, actually, Dylan has. And so have the Beatles. You know, they've got 100 songs they can oh, remember yeah, for. Yeah. But, but, yeah. Jimi most... Hendrix, all along the watch. Right. <clears throat> Purple Haze. Yeah. Wind Cries Mary. But Lemmy, conversely, is going to be best known for this one well, song. Okay, Hawkwind, Silver Machine. Yeah. You know, and Lemmy sang that. Yeah, yeah. So well, actually. I love that song. He was great on that. Mm. And, it, and as he told me, he was the last one to try out as the vocalist on mm. that because mm. they resented him being a star. Mm. And it became a huge hit. And he said the best thing of all was... He ended up on the cover of NME on his own without the rest of them. And he goes, they fucking hated it. I think that's one of the other reasons people loved interviewing him was they couldn't stop laughing mm-hmm. at what he would tell them. Yeah. Truth is always funny. Right. Until it isn't. Yeah. Lemmy could have said that. Yeah. But didn't. But we can attribute it to him. Well, we can essence. in your lying, fucked up world. We can. <laughs> but, you know, you and Ian conspiring <laughs> to peddle untruths and filth. Well, Whereas look, I am of a pure heart. A pure heart. And man. listeners, if you believe that, you will believe anything. So on that bombshell, I would like to uh, to thank Mick Ward. I'd like to thank Seven Digital, our producers. Now, our next uh, episode, Mick, is going to be about another legend. I think legend is not no, too, too high no, a word to use of this gentleman. Absolutely. Uh, you knew him rather well. I yeah. met him a couple of times, yeah. so we'll be talking largely about your experiences. And there's a link here, isn't there? There is a link which yeah. I'm about to embark yeah, on. I really, I, I like this. Well, he's like Lemmy, isn't he? In he's many ways. like Lemmy. He's like Lemmy because he was in other bands before he found success as his own band leader, yeah. of which he was the only constant, was he not, for many decades? Yeah, and uh, he wasn't conventionally good-looking. No, no, we say or, or at all good-looking. We could also say... <laughs> He lived in Los Angeles, rather like Lemmy, although originally he was not from there. No. And the uh, the link which I'm about to drop in with Amazing Genius is not written by me, it's written by Ian, the producer. Uh, and, it's my uh, favourite bit, go on. And I'm going to read it off. But they, they have a rainbow connection. They do! One of them was in Rainbow for some time. Lemmy, on the other hand, was always in the rainbow itself. Booyah! There we go. Booyah! Listen, everyone, uh, if you could please get in touch with us through the Twitter uh, page and the Facebook page uh, where you click the link to listen to this, that'd be fantastic. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know, if you would, your feedback on the show, if you have any suggestions for future episodes, and it'll be wonderful to hear from you again. And Mick, any last words from you? No. And that's it. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everyone. See you next time. If you enjoyed this, then please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and be sure to share it on social media. If you must. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.